the third calendar's tale. Know, O my lady, that I also am a king, and the son of a king, and my name is Ajib, son of Ghazib. When my father died, I succeeded him, and I ruled and did justice and dealt fairly by all my lieges. I delighted in sea trips, for my capital stood on the shore, before which the ocean stretched far and wide, and near hand were many great islands, with sconces and garrisons in the midst of the main. My fleet numbered fifty merchantmen, and as many yachts for pleasance, and a hundred and fifty sail ready fitted for holy war with the unbelievers. It fortuned that I had a mind to enjoy myself on the islands of Forsed, so I took ship with my people in Tinkir, and, carrying with me a month's victual, I set out on a twenty days' voyage. But one night ahead, winds struck us, and the sea rose against us with huge waves. The billows sorely buffeted us, and a dense darkness settled round us. We gave ourselves up for lost, and I said, Who so endangereth his days? And in his escape, deserveth no place. Then we prayed to Allah, and we saw them. The storm blast ceased not to blow against us, nor the surges to strike us till morning broke, when the gale fell. The sea sank to merely stillness, and the sun shone upon us kindly clear. Presently we made an island where we landed and cooked somewhat of food, and ate heartily and took our rest for a couple of days. Then we set out again and sailed other twenty days, the seas broadening and the land shrinking. Presently the current ran counter to us, and we found ourselves in strange waters, where the captain had lost his reckoning and was wholly bewildered in the sea. So said we to the lookout man. Get, get to the mast and keep thine eyes open. He swarmed up the mast and looked out and cried aloud. Oh, Reyes, I spy to starboard something dark, very like a fish floating on the face of the sea. And to the larboard, there is a loom in the mist of the main, now black and now bright. When the captain heard the lookout's words, he dashed his turban on the head and plucked out his beard and beat his face, saying, Good news indeed. Maybe all dead men, not one of us can be saved. And he fell to weeping. <laughs> and all of us wept for his weeping and also for our lives. And I said, Oh, Captain, tell us what it is the lookout saw. Now that we lost our course on the night of the storm, which was followed on the morrow by a two days calm, during which we made no way. And we have gone astray, eleven days reckoning from that night, with near a wind to bring us back to our true course. Tomorrow, by the end of the day, we shall come to a mountain of black stone. High is the magnet mountain, for hither the currents carry us willy-nilly. As soon as we are under its lead, the ship's sides will open, and every nail in plank will fly out and cleave fast to the mountain. For that almighty Allah hath grifted the lodestone with a mysterious virtue and a love for iron, by reason whereof all which is iron traveleth towards it, and on this mountain is much iron. How much none knoweth, save the Most High, from the many vessels which have been lost there since the days of yore. The bright spot upon its summit is a dome of yellow laden, from Andalusia, vaulted upon ten columns, and on its crown is a horseman who rideth a horse of brass, and holdeth in his hand a lance of Latin, and there hangeth on his bosom a tablet of lead, graven with names and talismans. And he presently added, 
And, O king, none destroyeth folk save the rider on that steed, nor will the agromancy be dispelled till he fall from his horse. Then, O my lady, the captain wept with exceeding weeping. (laughs) And we all made sure of death. And each and every one of us farewelled his friend and charged him with his last will and testament in case he might be saved. We slept not that night, and in the morning we found ourselves much nearer the Lodestone Mountain, where the waters crave us with a violent send. When the ships were close under its lee, they opened and the nails flew out, and all the iron in them sought the magnet mountain and clove to it like a network, so that by the end of the day we are all struggling in the waves round about the mountain. Some of us were saved, but more were drowned, and even those who had escaped knew not one another. So stupefied were they by the beating of the billows and the raving of the winds. As for me, O my lady, Allah, be his name exalted, preserved my life that I might suffer whatso he willed to me of hardship, misfortune, and calamity. For I scrambled upon a plank from one of the ships, and the wind and waters threw it at the feet of the mountain. There I found a practicable path leading by steps carven out of the rock to the summit, and I called on the name of Allah Almighty. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the fifteenth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the third calendar said to the lady, the rest of the party sitting fast bound, and the slaves standing with swords drawn over their heads. And after calling on the name of Almighty Allah, and passionately beseeching him. I breasted the ascent, clinging to the steps and notches honed into the stone, and mounted little by little, and the Lord stilled the wind and aided me in the ascent, so that I succeeded in reaching the summit. There I found no resting place save the dome, where I entered, joying with exceeding joy at my escape, and made the wuzu ablution and prayed a two-bow prayer, a thanksgiving to God for my preservation. Then I fell asleep under the dome, and heard in my dream a mysterious voice saying, O son of Kazim, when thou wakest from thy sleep, dig under thy feet, and thou shalt find a bow of brass and three heavy arrows. Inscribe them thousands and carrots. Take the bow and shoot the arrows of the horsemen on the dawn top, and free mankind from this sore calamity. When thou hast shot him, he shall fall into the sea, and the horse will also drop thy feet. Then barriers in place for the bow. This done, the maid will swell and rise till it is level with the mountain head, and there will appear to skip, carrying a man later, other than he thou shalt have shot, holding in his hand a pair of he will come to thee, and do thou embark with him. But beware of saying Bismillah, or of otherwise name Allah Almighty. He will run thee for a space of ten days, till he bring thee to certain islands called the Islands of Safety. And thence thou shalt easily reach a port, and find those who will convey thee to thy native and all this shall be fulfilled to thee, so thou call not on the name of Allah. 
Then I started up from my sleep in joy and gladness, and hastening to do the bidding of the mysterious voice, found the boar and the arrows, and shot at the horseman, and tumbled him into the mane, whilst the horse dropped at my feet. So I took it and buried it. Presently the sea surged up, and rose till it reached the top of the mountain. Nor had I long to wait, ere I saw a skiff in the offing coming towards me. I gave thanks to Allah. And, when the skiff came up to me, I saw therein a man of brass with a tablet of lead on his breast, inscribed with talismans and calyx, and I embarked without uttering a word. The boatmen rowed on with me through the first day, and the second, and the third, in all ten whole days, till I caught sight of the islands of safety, whereat I joyed with exceeding joy, and for stress of gladness exclaimed, Allah, Allah, in the name of Allah, there is no God but the God, and Allah is Almighty. Thereupon the skiff forthwith upset, and cast me upon the sea. Then it lighted and sank deep into the depths. Now I am a fair swimmer, so I swam the whole day till nightfall, when my forearms and shoulders were numbed with fatigue, and I felt like to die. So I testified to my faith, expecting naught but death. The sea was still surging under the violence of the winds, and presently there came a billow like a hillock, and bearing me up high in the air, threw me with a long cast on dry land, that his will might be fulfilled. I crawled up the beach, and doffing my raiment, wrung it out to dry, and spread it in the sunshine. Then I lay me down and slept the whole night. As soon as it was day, I donned my clothes and rose to look whither I should walk. Presently I came to a thicket of low trees, and, making a cast around it, found that the spot whereon I stood was an islet, a mere home, girt on all sides by the ocean. Whereupon I said to myself, What so freeth me from one great calamity, casteth me into a greater? But while I was pondering my case, and longing for death, behold, I saw afar off a ship making for the island. So I clomb a tree, and hid myself among the branches. Presently, the ship anchored, and landed ten slaves, blackamoors, bearing iron hoes and baskets, who walked on till they reached the middle of the island. Here they dug deep into the ground, until they uncovered a plate of metal, which they lifted, thereby opening a trap door. After this they returned to the ship, and thence brought bread and flour, honey and fruits, clarified butter, leather bottles containing liquors, and many household stuffs, also furniture, table service, and mirrors, rugs, carpets, and in fact all needed to furnish a dwelling, and they kept going to and fro, and descending by the trap door, till they had transported into the dwelling all that was in the ship. After this, the slaves again went on board, and brought back with them garments as rich as may be, and in the midst of them came an old, old man, of whom very little was left, for time had dealt hardly and harshly with him, and all that remained of him was a bone wrapped in a rag of blue stuff, through which the winds whistled west and east, as saith the poet of him. Time guards me tremble, Ah, how sore the bulk, while time and pride of strength cloth ever stock. Time was I walked, nor ever felt I tired. Now am I tired, albeit I never walk. And the sheikh held by the hand of a youth cast in beauty's mold, all elegance and perfect grace, so fair that his comeliness deserved to be proverbial, for he was as a green bow, or the tender young of the roe ravishing every heart with his loveliness, and subduing every soul with his coquetry and amorous ways. It was of him the poet spake when he said, Beauty they brought with him to make compare, but beauty hung her head in shame and care. 
Quoth they, O beauty, hast thou seen his like? And beauty cried, his like? Not anywhere. They stinted not their going, O my lady, till all went down by the trap door, and did not reappear for an hour, or rather more, at the end of which time the slaves and the old man came up without the youth, and replacing the iron plate and carefully closing the door slab as it was before, they returned to the ship, and made sail and were lost to my sight. When they turned away to the park, I came down from the tree, and going to the place I had seen them fill up, scrapped off and removed the earth, and impatience possessed my soul till I had cleared the whole of it away. Then appeared the trap door, which was of wood, in shape and size like a millstone, and when I lifted it up, it disclosed a winding staircase of stone. At this I marveled, and ascending the steps till I reached the last, found a fair hall, spread with various kinds of carpets and silk stuffs, wherein was a youth sitting upon a raised couch, and leaning back on a round cushion with a fan in his hand, and nosegays and posies of sweet-scented air, and flowers before him. But he was alone, and not a soul near him in the great vault. When he saw me, he turned pale, and I saluted him courteously, and said, Set thy mind at ease, and calm thy fears. No harm shall come near thee. I am a man like thyself, and the son of a king to boot, whom the decrees of destiny have sent to bear thee company, and cheer thee in thy loneliness. But now tell me, what is thy story, and what causeth thee to dwell thus in solitude under the ground? When he was assured that I was of his kind, and no genie, he rejoiced, and his fine color returned, and making me draw near to him, he said, Oh, my brother, my story is a strange story, and tis this. My father is a merchant jeweler possessed of great wealth, who hath white and black slaves traveling and trading on his account in ships and on camels and trafficking with the most distant cities. But he was not blessed with a child, not even one. Now on a certain night he dreamed a dream that he should be favored with a son who would be short-lived. So the morning dawned on my father bringing him woe and weeping. On the following night my mother conceived and my father noted down the date of her becoming pregnant. Her time being fulfilled, she bare me, whereat my father rejoiced and made banquets and called together the neighbors and fed the fakirs and the poor, for that she had been blessed with issue near the end of his days. Then he assembled the astrologers and the astronomers, who knew the places of the planets and the wizards and the wise ones of the time, and men learned in horoscopes and nativities, and they drew out my birth scheme and said to my father, Thy son shall live to fifteen years. But in his fifteenth there is a sinister aspect, and he safely tied it over, he shall attain a great age, and a cause that threateneth him with death is this. In the sea of peril standeth the mountain magnet highs, on whose summit is a horseman of yellow latin, seated on a horse also of brass, and bearing on his breast a tablet of lead. Fifty days after this rider shall fall from his steed, thy son will die, and his slayer will be he who shoots down the horseman, a prince named Ajib, son of King Kazim. My father grieved with exceeding grief to hear these words, but reared me in tenderest fashion, and educated me excellently well until my fifteenth year was told. Ten days ago, news came to him that the horseman had fallen into the sea, and he who shot him down was named Ajib, the son of King Kazi. My father thereupon wept bitter tears at the need of 
became like one possessed of a genie. However, being in mortal fear for me, he built me this place under the earth, and stocking it with all required for the few days still remaining, he brought me hither in a ship and left me here. Ten are already passed, and when the forty shall have gone by without danger to me, he will come and take me away. For he hath done all this only in fear of Prince Achi. And such then is my story, and the cause of my loneliness. When I heard his history, I marveled and said in my mind, I am the Prince Ajii, who hath done all this, but as Allah is with me, I will surely not slay him. So said I to him, O oh my Lord, part from thee be this hurt and harm, and then, please Allah, thou shalt not suffer cart nor care, nor wrought this quietude, for I will tarry with thee, and serve thee as a servant, and then mend my ways, and after having borne thee company during the forty days, I will go with thee to thy home where thou shalt give me an escort of some of thy Mamluks, with whom I may journey back to my own city, and the Almighty shall requite thee for me. He was glad to hear these words, when I rose and lighted a large wax candle, and trimmed the ramps and the three lanterns, and I set on meat and drink and sweetmeats. We ate and drank, and sat talking over various matters, till the greater part of the night was gone, when he lay down to rest, and I covered him up and went to sleep myself. Next morning I arose, and warmed a little water, and lifted him gently so as to awake him, and brought him the warm water, wherewith he washed his face, and said to me, Heaven requite thee for me with every blessing, O youth! By Allah, if I get quit of this danger and am saved from him whose name is Adi Kazib, I will make my father reward thee, and send thee home healthy and wealthy. And if I die, then my blessing be upon thee. I answered, May the day never dawn on which evil shall betide thee, and may Allah make my last day before thy last day. Then I set before him somewhat of food and we ate, and I got ready perfumes for fumigating the hall, wherewith he was pleased. Moreover, I made him a mantala cloth, and we played and ate sweet meats, and we played again and took our pleasure till nightfall, when I rose and lighted the lamps, and set before him somewhat to eat and sat telling him stories till the hours of darkness were far spent. Then he lay down to rest, and I covered him up and rested also. And thus I continued to do, O oh my lady, for days and nights an affection for him took root in my heart, and my sorrow was eased. And I said to myself, The astrologers lied when they predicted that he should be slain by Ajib bin Ghazib. By Allah, I will not slay him. I ceased not ministering to him, and conversing and carousing with him, and telling him all manner tales for thirty-nine days. On the fortieth night, the youth rejoiced and said, Oh, my brother, alhamdulillah, praise be to Allah who hath preserved me from death, and this is by thy blessing and the blessing of thy coming to me, and I pray God that he restore thee to thy native land. But now, oh, my brother, I would thou warn me some water for the gusal ablution, and do thou kindly. I replied, with love and gladness, and I heated water in plenty, and carrying it in to him, washed with the washing of health, with meal of lupans, changed his clothes, and spread him a high bed, whereon he lay down to rest, being drowsy after bathing. Then said he, Oh, my brother, cut me up a watermelon, and sweeten it with a little sugar candy. So I went to the storeroom, and bringing out the fine watermelon I found there, set it on a platter, and laid it before him, saying, Oh, my master, hast thou not a knife? Answered he, here it is, over my head upon the high shelf. So I got up in haste, and taking the knife drew it from its sheath, but my foot slipped, stepping down, and I fell heavily upon the youth, holding in my hand the 
knife which hastened to fulfill what had been written on the day that decided the destinies of man and buried itself as if planted in the youth's heart. He died on the instant. When I saw that he was slain and knew that I had slain him, Mogul myself, I cried out with an exceeding loud and bitter cry, oh, and beat my face, and rent my raiment and said, Verily we be Allah's, and unto him we be returning, O Muslims, O folk fair of Allah. There remain for this youth but one day of the forty dangerous days which the astrologers and the learned had foretold for him, and the predestined death of this beautiful one was to be at my hand. Would heaven I had not tried to cut the watermelon. What dire misfortune is this I must bear be for love? What a disaster! What an affliction! Oh, Allah mine, I implore thy pardon, and declare to thee my innocence of his death. But what God willeth, let that come to pass. And Shahzad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the sixteenth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that Ajib thus continued his tale to the lady. When I was certified that I had slain him, I arose and ascending the stairs, replaced the trap door and covered it with earth as before. Then I looked out seawards and saw the ship cleaving the waters and making for the island. Wherefore I was afeard and said, The moment they come and see the youth done to death, they will know t'was I who slew him and will slay me without respite. So I climbed up into a high tree and concealed myself among its leaves, and hardly had I done so when the ship anchored and the slaves landed with the ancient man, the youth's father, and made direct for the place, and when they removed the earth they were surprised to see it soft. And they raised the trapdoor and went down and found the youth lying at full length, clothed in fair new garments, with a face beaming after the bath and the knife deep in his heart. At the sight they shrieked and wept and beat their faces, loudly cursing the murderer. Whilst a swoon came over the sheikh, so that the slaves deemed him dead, unable to survive his son. At last they wrapped the slain youth in his clothes, and carried him up, and laid him on the ground, covering him with a shroud of silk. Whilst they were making for the ship, the old man revived, and gazing at his son, who was stretched out, fell on the ground, and threw dust over his head, and smote his face, and plucked out his beard, and his weeping redoubled as he thought of his murdered son, and he swooned away once more. After a while a slave went and fetched a strip of silk, whereupon they lay the old man and sat down at his head. All this took place, and I was on the tree above them, watching everything that came to pass. And my heart became hoary before my head waxed grey, for the hard lot which was mine, and for the distress and anguish I had undergone, and I fell to reciting. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. How many a joy by Allah's will hath fled, with flight escaping sight of wisest head. How many a sadness shall begin the day, yet grow right gladsome ere the day is sped. How many a wheel trips on the hills of ill, causing the mourner's heart with joy to thrill. But the old man, O my lady, sees not from his swoon till near sunset, when he came to himself and looked upon his dead son, he recalled what had happened and how what he had dreaded had come to pass, and he beat his face and head, and recited these couplets. Racked is my heart with parting from my friends, and two rills ever from my eyelids flow. With them went forth my hopes, ah, well away! What shift remaineth me to say or do? Would I had never looked upon their sight, what shift fair serves when past errors strain or grow? What charm shall calm my pangs when this wise burn 
longings of love which in my vitals glow, would I had trod within the road of death, ne'er had befell us twain this parting blow. Allah, I pray the truth will show me wrath, and mix our loves nor part them evermore. How blessed were we as death one roof we dwelt, conjoined in joys, nor wrecking out of woe, till fortune shot as pith the severance shaft. Oh, who shall patient bear such parting through? And dart of death struck down amid the tribe, that ages pearl that morn saw brightest show. I cried the while his case took speech, and said, Would heaven, my son, death mote his doom for slow? Which be the readiest road we thee meet? My son, for whom I would my soul bestow? If sun I call him, no, the sun cloth set. If moon I call him, wane the moons. Ah, no! O sad mischance of thee, O doom of days! Thy place none other love shall ever know. Thy desire distracted sees thee but despairs. But wit or wisdom fate to overthrow. Some evil eye this day hath cast its spell, and foul befall him as it foul betell. <laughs> then he sobbed a single sob, and his soul fled his flesh. The slave shrieked aloud. Alas, my lord! and showered dust on their heads, and redoubled their weeping and wailing. <laughs> Presently they carried their dead master to the ship, side by side with his dead son, and having transported all the stuff from the dwelling to the vessel, set sail, and disappeared from mine eyes. I descended from the tree, and raising the trapdoor, went down into the underground dwelling, where everything reminded me of the youth, and I looked upon the poor remains of him, and began repeating these verses. Their tracks I see, and pine with pain and pain, and on deserted earths I weep and yearn, and him I pray who doomed them depart, some day vouchsafe the boon of safe return. Then, O oh my lady, I went up again by the trap door, and every day I used to wander round about the island, and every night I returned to the underground hall. Thus I lived for a month, till at last, looking at the western side of the island, I observed that every day the Thebes ebbed, leaving shallow water for which the flow did not compensate, and by the end of the month the sea showed dry land in that direction. At this I rejoiced, making certain of my safety, so I arose and fording what little was left of the water got me to the mainland, where I fell in with great heaps of loose sand which even a cow's hoof would sink up to the knee. However, I emboldened my soul in wading through the sand behold, a fire shone from afar, burning with a blazing light. So I made for it, hoping happily to find succor, and broke out into these verses. He like fortune may her bridle turn, and time bring weal although he's jealous height. Forward my hopes, and further all my needs, and past eels with present wheels requite. And when I drew near the fire, I foresaid, Lo, it was a palace with gates of copper burnished red, which when the rising sun shone thereon, gleamed and glistened from afar, showing what had seemed to me a fire. I rejoiced in the sight, and sat down over against the gate, but I was hardly settled in my seat before there met me ten young men clothed in sumptuous gear, and all were blind to the left eye, which appeared as plucked out. 
they were accompanied by a sheikh, an old, old man, and much I marveled at their appearance, and their all being blind of the same eye. When they saw me, they saluted me with the salam, and asked me of my case and my history, whereupon I related to them all what had befallen me, and what full measure of misfortune was mine. Marveling at my tale, they took me to the mansion, where I saw ranged round the hall ten couches, each with its blue bedding and coverlet of blue stuff, and a middlemost stood a smaller couch furnished like them with blue and nothing else. As we entered, each of the youths took his seat on his own couch, and the old man seated himself upon the smaller one in the middle, saying to me, O oh, youth, sit thee down on the floor, and ask not of our case, nor of the loss of our eyes. Presently, he rose up and set before each young man some meat in a charger, and drink in a large mazer, treating me in like manner. And after that they sat questioning me concerning my adventures, and what had betided me. And I kept telling them my tale till the night was far spent. Then said the young men, Oh, Shaykh, wilt not thou set before us The time is come, he replied, With love and gladness. And rose, and entering a closet disappeared, but presently returned, bearing on his head ten trays, each covered with a strip of blue stuff. He set the tray before each youth, and lighting ten wax candles, he stuck one upon each tray, and drew off the covers, and lo, under them was naught but ashes, and powdered charcoal, and kettle soot. Then all the young men tucked up their sleeves to the elbows, and fell a-weeping and wailing, and they blackened their faces, and smeared their clothes, and buffeted their brows, and beat their breasts, continually exclaiming, We are sitting at our ease without our They ceased not to do this till dawn drew nigh, when the old man rose and heated water for them, and they washed their faces, and donned other and clean clothes. Now when I saw this, oh my lady, for very wonderment my senses left me, and my wits went wild, and my heart and head were full of thought, till I forgot what had betided me, and I could not keep silence, feeling I fain must speak out and question them of these strangenesses. So I said to them, How come ye do this after we have been so open-hearted and frolicsome? Thanks be to Allah, ye all be sound and sane, yet actions such as these befit none but madmen. These possessed of an evil spirit, I conjure you by all that is dearest to you. I stint ye to tell me your history, and the cause of your losing your eye, and your blackening your face with ashes and soot. Thereupon they turned to me and said, Oh, Then they slept, and I with them, and when they awoke, the old man brought us somewhat of food. And after we had eaten, and the plates and goblets had been removed, they sat conversing till nightfall, when the old man rose and lit the wax candles and lamps, and set meat and drink before us. After we had eaten and drinking, we sat conversing and carousing in companionage till the noon of night, when they said to the old man, So he rose and brought them the trays of soot and ashes, and they did as they had done on the preceding night, no more, no less. I abode with them after this fashion for the space of a month during which time they used to blacken their faces with ashes every night, and to wash and change their raiment when the morn was young, and I would marvel the more at my scruples and curiosity increased.
increased to such a point that I had to forego even food and drink. At last, I lost command of myself, for my heart was aflame with fire unquenchable and love unconcealable, and I said, Oh, young men, will ye not relieve my trouble and acquaint me with the reason of thus blackening your faces and the meaning of your words? We were sitting at our ease, but our flowerness brought us unease. Quoth they, To Still, I was bewildered by their doings to the point of abstaining from eating and drinking, and at last, wholly losing patience, quoth I to them, There is no help for it. Ye must acquaint me with what is the reason of these doings. They replied, We keep our secret only for thy good, to the crack of thy evil, bring down evil upon thee, and thou wilt become monocular, even as we are. Even as we are. I repeated, there is no help for it, and if ye will not, let me leave you and return to mine own people, and be at rest from seeing these things. For the proverb saith, Let ye bide and I take my leave, for what I seize not heart shall never grieve. Thereupon they said to me, And bringing a ram, they slaughtered it and skinned it. Lastly, they gave me a knife, saying, Take this skin, and stretch thyself upon it, and loose will harm thee. Presently there shall come to thee a certain bird, Aizron, that will cast thee upon its tongue, and tower her high and then serve thee down the mountain. When thou fearest thee, O Lord of God, bring open the pelt of this place, the bird will be served in this way. Fly away and leave thee free. After this, fare for half a day, and, and they march and take thee to a palace wondrous fair to the fall. Now in high and build it up a large lady alone, and saddle, laid with red gold, and sell it with all manner of arrows and costly gems, fit for a seal of rings, and we wish, for we have all entered the palace, and such is the cause of our losing our eyes and of our blackening our faces. Were we now to tell the other stories, it would take too long a time, for each and every of us lost his left eye by adventure of his own. I rejoiced at their words, and they did with me as they said, and the bird the rook bore me off and set me down on the mountain. Then I came out of the skin and walked on till I reached the palace. The door stood open as I entered and found myself in a spacious and goodly hall, wide exceedingly, even as a horse course, and around it were a hundred chambers, with doors of sandal and aloes wood, plated with red gold and furnished with silver rings by way of knockers. At the head or upper end of the hall I saw forty damsels, sumptuously dressed and ornamented, and one and all bright as moons. None could ever tire of gazing upon them, and all so lovely that the most ascetic devotee on seeing them would become their slave and obey their will. When they saw me, the whole bevy came down to me and said, Welcome, Welcome good cheer to Then they made me sit down upon a high divan and said to me, This day thou art thou Lord and Master, and we are thy servants, and thy handmaids, so order us as thou wilt. And I marveled at their case. Presently one of them arose and set meat before me, and I ate and they ate with me, 
whilst others warmed water and washed my hands and feet and changed my clothes, and others made ready sherbets and gave us to drink, and all gathered around me, being full of joy and gladness at my coming. And they sat down and conversed with me till nightfall, when five of them arose and laid the trays and spread them with flowers and fragrant herbs and fruits, fresh and dried, and confections in profusion. At last they brought out a fine wine service with rich old wine, and we sat down to drink, and some sang songs, and others played the lute and psaltery, and the recorders and other instruments, and the ball went merrily round. Ere upon such gladness possessed me that I forgot the sorrows of the world, one and all, and said, This is indeed life, oh sad that is fleeting. I enjoyed their company till the time came for rest, and our heads were all warm with wine, when they said, So I chose a girl fair of face and perfect in shape, with eyes coal-edged by nature's hand, hair long and jet black with slightly parted teeth and joining brows. Twas as if she were some limber graceful branchlet, with a slender stalk of sweet basil to amaze and to bewilder man's fancy, even as the poet said of such as one. To even her with greeny bowels their veins, Fool he who finds her beauties in the row, When hath the row those lovely limbs, Or honey-dews those lips alone bestow, Those eyne, soul-piercing eyne, Which slay with this love, Which bind the victim by their shafts laid low, My heart to second childhood they beguiled, no wonder lovesick man again is child. And I repeated to her the marker's words, who said, None other charms but shine shall greet mine eyes, Nor other image can my heart surprise. Thy love, my lady, captives all my thoughts, And on that love I'll die and I'll arise. So I lay with her that night, none fairer I ever knew. And when it was morning, the damsels carried me to the hum and bath, and bathed me and robed me in fairest apparel. Then they served up food, and we ate and drank, and the cup went round until nightfall, when I chose from among them one fair of form and face, soft-sided and a model of grace, <laughs> such an one as the poet described when he said, On her fair bosom, caskets twain I scan, sealed fast with musk seals, lovers to withstand. With arrowy glances stand on guard her eyes, whose shaft would shoot, who dares put forth a hand. With her I spent the most goodly night, and to be brief, O oh my mistress, I remained with them in all solace and delight of life, eating and drinking, conversing and carousing, and every night lying with one or other of them. But at the head of the new year they came to me in tears and bade me farewell, weeping and crying out and clinging about me, whereat I wondered and said, What may be the matter? Verily you break my heart! They exclaimed, What the hell? We have never known thee. And they wept again. Tell me more clearly, asked I. What causes this weeping which maketh my gallbladder like to burst? And they answered. Oh, our master, it is the which maketh us weep, and thou only art the cause of our tears. If thou hast to us, we need never be parted, and if thou yet do not be parted forever, but our heart says, thou wilt not cease to our and this is the cause of our tears. Tell me how the case standeth. No, O our Lord, that we are the daughters of kings, 
Assuredly, I will not open it if it contained the cause of severance from you. Then one among them came up to me and falling on my neck wept and recited these verses. If time unite us after an absent while, the world harsh frowning on our Lord shall smile. And if thy semblance deign adorn mine eyes, I'll pardon time past wrongs and bygone guide. And I've recited the following. When drew she near to bid adieu with heart unstrung, while care and longing on that day her bosom wrung, with pearls she wept and mine like red cornelians rolled, and joined in sad rivere, around her neck they hung. When I saw her weeping, I said, By Allah, I will never open that fortieth door, never and no wise. And I bade her farewell. Thereupon they all departed, flying away like birds signaling with their hands farewells as they went and leaving me alone in the palace. When evening drew near, I opened the door of the first chamber, and entering it found myself in a place like one of the pleasances of paradise. It was a garden with trees of freshest green and ripe fruits of yellow sheen, and its birds were singing clear and keen, and nils ran wimbling through the fair terrain. The sight and sounds brought solace to my sprite, and I walked among the trees, and I smelt the breath of the flowers on the breeze, and heard the birds sing their melodies, imming the one, the almighty and sweetest litanies, and I looked upon the apple whose hue is parcel red and parcel yellow, as said the poet. Apple whose hue combines in union mellow, my fairest red cheek, her hapless lover's yellow. Then I looked upon the quince and inhaled its fragrance, which to shame musk and amber gay, even as the poet has said. Whence every taste conjoins, in her are found, gifts which for the queen of fruits the quince have crowned. Her taste is vine, her scent the waft of musk, pure gold her hue, her shape the moon's fair round. Then I looked upon the pear, whose taste surpasseth sherbet and sugar, and the apricot whose beauty striketh the eye with admiration, as if she were a polished ruby. Then I went out of the place and locked the door as it was before. When it was the morrow, I opened the second door, and entering, found myself in a spacious plain set with tall date palms and watered by a running stream, whose banks were shrugged with bushes of rose and jasmine, while privet and eglantine, ox-eye, violet and lily, narcissus, oregon, and the winter gilliflower carpeted the borders, and the breath of the breeze swept over these sweet-smelling groves, diffusing their delicious odors right and left, 
perfuming the world and filling my soul with delight. After taking my pleasure there a while, I went from it and, having closed the door as it was before, opened the third door, wherein I saw a high open hall, targeted with particle-colored marbles, and paid the door of price and other precious stones, and hung with cages of sandalwood and eaglewood, full of birds which made sweet music, such as the thousand-voiced, and the kushat, the mare, the turtle dove, the Nubian ring dove. My heart was filled with pleasure thereby, my grief was dispelled, and I slept in that avery till dawn. Then I unlocked the door of the fourth chamber, and therein found a grand saloon with forty smaller chambers giving upon it. All their doors stood open, so I entered and found them full of pearls and jacinths and barrels and emeralds and corals and carbuncles, and all manner precious gems and jewels, such as tongue of man may not describe. My thought was stunned at the sight, and I said to myself, these be things, methinks, united, which could not be found save in the treasures of a king of kings, nor could the monarchs of the world have collected the like of these. My heart dilated and my sorrow cease. For, quoth I, now verily am I the monarch of the age, since by Allah's grace this enormous wealth is mine, and I have forty damsels under my hand, nor is there any to claim them save myself. Then I gave not over opening place after place until nine and thirty days were passed, and in that time I had entered every chamber except that one whose door the princesses charged me not to open. But my thoughts, O oh my mistress, ever ran on that forbidden fortieth, and Satan urged me to open it for my own undoing, nor had I patience to forbear, albeit there wanted of the trusting time but a single day. So I stood before the chamber aforesaid, and after a moment's hesitation, opened the door which was plated with red gold, and entered. I was met by a perfume whose like I had never before smelt, and was so sharp and subtle was the odor that it made my senses drunken as with strong wine, and I fell to the ground in a fainting fit which lasted a full hour. When I came to myself, I strengthened my heart, and entering found myself in a chamber whose floor was bespread with saffron and blazing with light from brand's candelabras of gold and lamps fed with costly oils which diffused the scent of musk and ambergay. I saw there also two great censers, each big as a maser bowl, flaming with linoloes, nad perfume, ambergay, and onid scents, and the place was full of their fragrance. Presently, O oh my lady, I espied a noble steed, black as the murks of night on the left, standing, ready saddled and bridled, and his saddle was of red gold, before two mangers, one of clear crystal, wherein was husked sesame, and the other also of crystal, containing water of the rose scented with musk. When I saw this, I marveled and said to myself, Doubtless in this animal must be some wondrous mystery. And Satan cozened me, so I led him without the palace and mounting him, but he would not stir from his place. So I hammered his sighs with my heels, but he moved not, and then I took the rain whip and struck him with him. When he felt the blow, he neighed a neigh with a sound like deafening thunder, and opening a pair of wings, flew up with me in the firmament of heaven, far beyond the eyesight of man. After a full hour of flight, he descended and alighted on the terrace roof, and shaking me off his back, lashed me on the face with his tail, and gouged out my left eye, causing it to roll along my cheek. 
Then he flew away. I went down from the terrace and found myself again amongst the ten one-eyed youths sitting upon their ten couches with blue covers, and they cried out when they saw me. No Quoth I, Behold, I have become one like unto you, and now I would have you bring me a tray full of blackness, wherewith to blacken my face, and receive me into your society. So they drove me away. Finding them reject me, thus I foresaw that matters would go hard with me, and I remembered the many miseries which destiny had written upon my forehead, and I fared forth from among them heavy-hearted and tearful-eyed, repeating to myself these words, I was sitting at my knees, but my flowerness brought me to unease. Then I shaved beard and mustachios and eyebrows, renouncing the world, and wandered in calendar, garb about Allah's earth, and the Almighty decreed safety for me till I arrived at Baghdad, which was on the evening of this very night. Here I met these two other calendars standing bewildered, so I saluted them, saying, I am a stranger. And they answered, And we will likewise be strangers. By the freak of fortune we were like to thee, three calendars and three monoculars all blind the left eye. Such, O my lady, is the cause of the shilling of my beard and the manner of my losing an eye. Rub thy head and wend thy ways, said the lady to him. But he answered, By Allah, I will not go until I hear the stories of these others. Then the lady, turning towards the caliph, and Ja'afar and Masrur said to them, Do ye also give an account of yourselves, you men? Whereupon Ja'afar stood forth and told her what he told the portress as they were entering the house. And when she heard his story, merchants and Mosul men who had outrun the watch, she said, I grant you your lives, each for each sake, and now away with you all. So they all went out, and when they were in the street, quoth the caliph to the calendars, All company, whither go ye now? See that the morning hath not yet dawned. What then? By Allah, O our Lord, we know not where to go. Come, and pass the rest of the night with them. Said the caliph, and turning to Ja'afar, Take them home with thee, and tomorrow bring them to my presence, that we may chronicle their adventures. Ja'far did as the caliph bade him, and the commander of the faithful returned to his palace, but sleep gave no sign of visiting him that night, and he lay awake, pondering the mishaps of the three calendar princes, and impatient to know the history of the ladies and the two black bitches. No sooner had morning dawned, than he went forth and sat upon the throne of his sovereignty, and turning to Ja'far, after all his grandees and officers of state were gathered together, he said, Bring me the three ladies and the two bitches and the three calandras. So Ja'far fared forth and brought them all before him, and the ladies were veiled. Then the minister turned to them and said in the caliph's name, We pardon you of your maltreatment of us and your want of courtesy in consideration of the kindness which forewinted, and for that ye knew us not. Now, however, I would have you know that ye stand in the presence of the fifth of the sons of Abbas, Harun al-Rashid, brother of Caliph Musa al-Hadi, son of al-Mansur, son of Muhammad, the brother of al-Safah bin Muhammad, who was first of the royal house. Speak ye therefore before him the truth and the whole truth. When the ladies heard Ja'far's words touching the commander of the faithful, the eldest came forward and said, O prince of true believers, my story is one which... 
were it graven with needle gravers upon the eye corners, were a warner for whoso would be warned, and an example for whoso can take profit from example. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the seventeenth night, she said, It hath reached me, O Archbishop King, that she stood forth before the commander of the faithful and began to tell the eldest lady's tale. 1001 Arabian Nights audio drama, The Porter of Baghdad, Third Kalandar's Tale, from Sir Richard Burton's timeless classic, Arabian Nights Entertainments, features Lauren Blackie, Third Kalandar, S. Davis, Poet, Marguerite Sherazad, Jake Reese, Lee Turner, Sailors, Odell Atkinson, Rise, Hazard Raku, Captain, Mitchell Lucas, Voice of Mystery, Kai Sprutzi, Young Man, Odell Atkinson, Elderly Father, Kamen Nakai, Court Astrologer, Zeke, Mamluk, Blackamore Slaves, Sean Shiplock, Minocular Cult Leader, Miguel Moran, Cameron Cod, Monocular Cult Members, Michelle Morgan, Karen Heyman, Guy Palace Damsels, Patrick Seymour, First Calendar, Zaid Patterson, Second Calendar, Natalie Von Sistine, Eldest Lady, Dustin Dar as Jafar, Anthony Abonali, Caliph, Music Selections, Old Road by Kevin McLeod, Ceremony, Conspiring Cowards, Another World, Destination Goa, Indian Summer, Forsaken One, Mantra, Licensed by FootageFirm.com, Ambient Selections, Dreamer, Howling Doom Chimes, Lost Souls, Spacious Land from Unknown and Dimension and the other side by Simon Stockhausen at patchpool.de. Ambient drone selections by DRH, Clankabel, traditional Turkish selections from Mixera at freesound.org. Sound effects from freesound.org, opening and ending credits, theme, enter in by Steve Irwin, Arabian Adventures by Music Bakery, licensed by audiosparks.com, Desert Gems Audio, mixed and produced by S. Davis, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. <laughs>